like Hong Kong. That's a place for you. Hello, this is the Hong Kong Football Podcast coming to you from Kowloon, Hong Kong. In a week in which local football was rocked to its foundations by yet more match-fixing allegations, Kichi's training ground in trouble as the government wants to turn it into rubble, and Hong Kong win two and score four against Cambodia and Singapore. We're going to be talking about all of that, the news, the football, and looking ahead to next week's games. My name, as always, is James Legg, and I am joined again... By Tobias Dusa, Toby, you were ill last week. How are you? Yeah, I'm on the way to recovery. I still have a bit of a cough, but it's getting better. Still a bit ropey. Yeah. Okay, well, so it's good to have you back. Um, it was a bit useless when it was just me on my own last week, <laughs> um, as regular listeners will know. Um, but we have just been, last night, to the Hong Kong-Singapore game. Um, Hong Kong won 2-0 with goals from Alex and a really nice goal from Huang Yang. How do you feel overall about the game? Yeah, I think that 2-0 is a result we should actually be quite happy with. Um, I don't think that Hong Kong was very dominating or controlling as I would have expected them to be. But nevertheless, I think most people would have expected a win against Singapore and that's what they delivered. But how they did it, um, that's maybe something we can discuss in more detail. I think it, it was the kind of incoherence going forward which, which baffled me a little bit. Um, well, I say baffled, it's nothing, it's nothing new. Um, it's, uh, I thought the defence actually looked pretty solid, although they didn't really have too much to deal with from Singapore. Um, but going forward, it just seemed as though we had a lot of players and no actual idea. You know I mean? You have all these people going um, in the attack. I mean, in the first half, so you had like Alex, you had um, Sandro, you have Kari Kari. Um, you have Judas and it just didn't seem as though there was some coherent plan, um, which I know is nothing new, but as you go into these friendlies and you're basically at the start of this international season, we said, oh, it'd be good if they could go from being just a solid unit at the back to having some kind of coherence. That hasn't really happened yet. Um, is that, do you think that's a bit fair? Yeah, I totally agree. You often get the feeling that the match plan that Hong Kong has and the Hong Kong coach Kim Bangon put forward is quite random. For example, in these two games, uh, all together, uh, Kim Bangon uh, fielded almost all the 20 players. So he used the rotation format. And I know that in, in the previous weeks, we talked about that it would be good if there would be experiments and it would try out more things. But this is not exactly what, what I think I meant at that time, that you just randomly bring in players and um, let them figure out how to get along with like four strikers and six midfielders at the same time. But what's really missing is this kind of playing philosophy, a clear tactic, meaning going into games against Cambodia or Singapore, Hong Kong needs to have a kind of flexibility when compared, for example, going into a game like China, meaning that Hong Kong is more expected to take more possession of the game, following a clear match plan just of, just instead of defending. You would expect that, for example, the, the way Hong Kong is set up with like two quite strong wingers. This time you had Sudeshwai on the right, you had Karikari on the left, uh, and then the right back and the left back, who are usually forced also like in the Hong Kong Premier League to you know be attacking defenders, right? Going all the way through. Um, but there was hardly any interaction. For example, on the right side, Sudeshwai and Chen King Ho didn't really make use of this kind of attacking line on, even the, though, on the right. Even though they play on the right for their club team, Eastern as well. Yeah, exactly. And this, this was quite strange to see. Um, for example, on, on the, in the first half, 
I noticed that after 10 minutes, there were hardly any attempts to, to get through on the right side anymore. And the plan from the midfield, how to get the ball to the attack, was very much limited to maybe Lam Kawai taking a long pass. And this is how it then led to the first goal. Mm. Yeah, well, speaking of Lam Kawai and speaking of the first goal, there were some good moments. Um, and in particular, um, this one, Alex Akande got the goal. It was a lovely little kind of dink nicely weighted dink over the top by his kitschy teammate Lam Kawai which kind of landed him in the box and he just had two touches to take it and he just kind of knocks it underneath the defender and he finishes it nicely like he kind of goes one way and then knocks it the other and I thought it was a really good goal um, I mean I'm not Alex's biggest fan generally um, I think he's a little bit one directional and it's especially in a team like Hong Kong where you need to get other players involved in the attack I don't think he really does that for Hong Kong um, which is why he doesn't play in that position for Kichi, for example. He plays normally on as a right side forward. But I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good finish, um, and it was quite a you know a nice little bit of interplay between two players, which is good to see considering we're complaining about incoherence. But even better was the second goal, um, Huang Yang's goal. It was who played the ball. Roberto Alfonso plays the ball kind of from the from the left, um, and then who who brought the ball down? Uh, James McKee. Uh, James McKee wins the header, knocks it onto um, onto Alex, the goal scorer, who turns provider. Um, he kind of lays it off for Huang Yang, who puts it into the left side of the goal. If you just saw this goal and you've never seen Hong Kong before, <laughs> you would think that this was like a team with a really coherent attack, which manages to plant itself in the opposition <laughs> in the opposition um, half um, on a regular basis. And I mean, is that a sign of progress? Is that a sign that what we're saying is actually a little bit harsh? Because well, they did want to do the thing that we want, you know, that we expect them to do. I'm not sure if it's a sign of progress. I mean, I think it's definitely a sign of light that there's maybe light at the end of the tunnel. But I think we we see too little of this to really understand it as something that is trained or really planned. <laughs> but yeah, it would be great to to see more of these kind of chances in the future. Okay, so the lineup was quite interesting. It, it was notable for one thing that you pointed out to me yes um, compared to the previous game we had quite a few Chinese players in the starting 11 there were in total six players so we had Ya Fai of course in the goal mm -hmm. who else I think he never gives any chance to Wang Chenpeng or any, any, anyone else to to take away friendly game no. which is quite interesting <laughs> So he has, he always has like, I think a starting guarantee. Mm. And then we had uh, the two uh, defenders, um, Li Hong Lim on the left, Chen King Ho on the right, then Lam Kawai in the middle, Huang Yang as defensive midfielder, and Zhu Dishui. Zhu Dishui on the right. Which is, normally you would have more foreign-born naturalized players. Yes, up to seven to eight usually. Mm. Yeah. And so what's, what's the deal with that? Why do we have any idea? why that was I mean these, the players you're naming are all good players um, so they, they certainly could get a place based purely on merit or form most of them but is there a reason for this is it something to do with the clubs of the yeah one reason could be that they wanted to spare some of the China League 1 players it was interesting to see that Festo Space was taken off quite early in the game I think around the 60th minute this is Hong Kong's star centre-back exactly the only centre-back we can really count on right now in terms of stability 
and he had this very you know his very amazing tackle in the 55th minute yeah as someone was kind of bursting into the box and then he hooked yeah. it from behind it was really really impressive and you can see that uh, he is the kind of person who takes responsibility in this kind of situation mm. I mean it, it can go badly this kind of you know if he would cause a penalty I would also I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> in that moment but you know that's a tackle that, that you have to make and aside from Festus uh, Ita Parika who plays for Xinjiang Tianjian uh, remained on the bench for the whole game although we realized that he be- Comes a kind of key player mm. for Hong Kong in recent matches. But other than that, Godfrey Karikari stayed on for the whole game, right? So maybe that, that theory is wrong <laughs> altogether. But on the other hand, you could see maybe that Kim Bangon wanted to give a chance to a lot of players who haven't really had the opportunity to, to be fielded in previous games. All players except one. <laughs> except one. This was interesting to see indeed. Um, because as you remember, uh, last week we mentioned that Ao Yong Yu Chung was called in after a couple of years again into the um, national team. For the last two years, he, he trained in Portugal and tried to get a breakthrough there, but then he was injured and now he went to Guizhou, Zhejiang, where he's a teammate with Festus based. But he got injured as well, so he was deregistered from the team. And indeed, everyone expected that he will have a chance to play for five or ten minutes in one of these two games. But indeed, he was the only outfield player who didn't come in. So that was a bit sad. Yeah, so everyone over the course of the Cambodia game and the Singapore game, everyone except for sub goalies got a game except for Aoyang. Yu Chun. Right. I've never heard of him before. Really? No. Yeah, it was, it was before your time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of people, it wasn't just you, a lot of people seemed disappointed that, yeah. that he didn't get a game. Yeah, so he must be feeling. Has he come all the way from Portugal? No, he came all the way from Guizhou. <laughs> oh, from Guizhou. Oh, that's not so far. I mentioned um, last week about the, like, exactly two years ago, there was a exact same fixture in Singapore, Hong Kong, home friendly at the Mong Kok. And I couldn't actually find the attendance figures, but from memory, it was, it was below 2000. It may even have been triple figures, I can't remember. And this time, and I mean, I said last week that it would be an interesting comparison in, in what's happened in, in Hong Kong football, especially with the national team. And I think it, it provided, last night's attendance provided quite a stark contrast. I mean, there was one hell of an atmosphere. Um, you know, you've got these kind of like more than one, you know, there's a few different like kind of fans groups all kind of making noise and organizing themselves. And what was what was the attendance? It was above 4,000, wasn't it? More than 4,000. Yeah. So, I mean, if we can take that as some kind of completely non-scientific study, it really does kind of go to show how things have changed. So that's good news. And, and what, what did we think of Singapore? Um, they didn't offer too much I thought they looked really good in the first 10 minutes or so I thought it was going to be harder than for Hong Kong than it was but then I think it became apparent that Singapore didn't have that much up top I mean it was kind of like what a similar situation to Hong Kong except worse <laughs> um, like they, they could get the ball up there and then they just kind of see what happened kind of thing I don't know is that is that a bit harsh? No I think it's true but I would also say that in the second half, particularly when when Hong Kong changed their, the defenders, Andrew Russell came in, and there was a lot of miscommunication among mm. defense. And Singapore had a few dangerous moments during this time. I remember like one one shot that just missed the goal like for a few centimeters. But altogether, I think that the shots that they took on the goal, uh, Yapung Fai didn't have any problems. Although he did make one very good save. I oh, think yes, it was towards the end. Right, yeah, right. Um, he kind of tipped one wide, um, mm. which was a really impressive save. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that, actually. So maybe maybe Singapore did show a little bit more, especially towards the end. You're right, I mean, this happens a lot. Like, when, when you get all of these 
substitutions like the, the shape just goes and like people's roles not just like positional roles but their role as in terms of leader and follower and stuff just seem to get completely skewed um, as we've said I mean the defence relies a lot on Festus Bayes to be the rock at the centre of it um, and once he went off yeah it just it felt a bit chaotic because you had Roberto Alfonso who's also a centre back he was playing in defensive mid and then at times he was dropping back even mm. further back than defenders and yeah. It, it, yeah it was all a bit chaotic luckily it didn't come to anything Singapore didn't score Singapore who by the way once again impressed me with the quality of their kit I think they do wear <laughs> top class gear um, very nice shade of blue all blue I'm a big fan of the all one colour and um, and I thought so last time as well I thought last time they played I was impressed by their, uh, their kit I don't know what it is oh, really? I, don't why. I also don't know why they wear blue I mean their, their flag is red and white that's a mystery we have to yeah have to, maybe we yeah, can any any Singaporean <laughs> listeners um, if you have an idea why they play in blue then um, feel, free to, feel free to let us know well until then just know that I think your kit is really cool now Hong Kong didn't only play Singapore in the past week, they also played Cambodia away, which they also won. You watched this game, Toby. How was it? Perhaps quite quickly. Yeah, actually I was not sick. I was in <laughs> Cambodia <laughs> to, to watch the game. Um, no, I, I watched it at home on TV. And Hong Kong had indeed a quite good start. Gottfried Karikawi scored quite early into the game after a corner kick from Ita Parika. And then Alex Akande had this typical Alex goal. And again, I think in both in the league and for the national team right now, Alex is, is a quite reliable scorer right now. Yeah, it's it's funny after kind of, I think I give him a hard time, but yeah, you're right, it's three goals in the league, that's two goals internationally. He's, he's more on fire than a Samsung Galaxy phone. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Although they are on fire a lot, right? So. Mm. <laughs> he's even more on fire. <laughs> He's like a room full of Galaxy Samsung Galaxy phones. So maybe that's because Kim Bangon is Korean, right? So he has this. He knows about things that go on fire. <laughs> right. Maybe he does. Or how to put things on fire. But anyway, another thing that I want to point out in the Cambodia game was the starting eleven. Hong Kong this time didn't start with Huang Yang as a defensive midfielder, but used Roberto Afonso. And it was a position that I actually like to see him in. He delivered quite a few good passes, um, similar to what we saw like at the end of the Singapore game. The interesting thing was that in the second half, once he was taken off, Hong Kong somehow also dissolved. But then honestly, in the second half, I have a very blurred memory about this. I, to be honest, I was still a bit sick at this time. But generally I felt it was a very terrible game for the, for the second 45 minutes. Cambodia was dominating a lot and Hong Kong just seemed to not caring enough anymore to really put effort into the game or score another goal. So it was very much Cambodia on the attack and um, again Kim Bangon rotated a lot the players on the field and with this more and more chaos was created and it was not nice to watch. Mm. And not like the good kind of Jürgen Klopp style of chaos like the no not, not the good kind not of the cool chaos. kind of chaos <laughs> no. no indeed um, okay but you know wrapping up this that's two games two wins um two goals scored zero conceded um, sorry four goals scored zero conceded it was supposed to be preparation for the EAFF tournament which comes up next month speaking of which tickets go on sale today that's wednesday the what's the date today <laughs> 12th <laughs> wednesday the 12th of um of october um, the tickets, the kind of the three match package tickets for the EAFF qualifiers, which we've discussed 
a lot in on the past on the past podcasts. They go on sale today from the HKFA website, so go and snap those up. In one sentence, these friendlies have they been helpful preparation for these EFF qualifiers? And it can't be a really long sentence. I know you speak German. <laughs> well, let me be more of this grumpy man of the Muppet Show <laughs> and saying that it was not quite helpful in that sense playing two weaker opponents and not really being able or capable of dominating a game that was a very good sentence um really yeah yeah thank you i'm gonna but we do have other things to talk about <laughs> so we're gonna move on because we've got lots and lots of news stories which have been dominating the headlines not just in sports but in the news pages of hong kong newspapers um, so we're going to be talking about those after this. The Hong Kong Football Podcast is out every Wednesday. You can get it from iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Okay, as mentioned, there have been two big off-the-pitch stories kind of dominating the news this week. Neither of them very good. <laughs> and both of them bad news for Hong Kong football, really. So first, the first up was the arrest by the ICAC, the Independent Commission Against Corruption, of five players and a coach from Hong Kong Pegasus who are alleged to have fixed reserved, reserved division matches. Um, reserved division matches are often bet on um, kind of in international kind of shady gambler markets um, and they are alleged to have taken between them um, 90,000 Hong Kong dollars which isn't a lot they have all been arrested but they are all none of them have been charged yet um, nothing has been proven yet a lot of speculation is flying around in the newspapers um, they're all out on bail um, although they have been suspended by the club but Toby this is still very depressing for Hong Kong football it is indeed very depressing because we have to we have to think about the context meaning that Hong Kong football just recovered from other match fixing scandals mm. in the last couple of years the most recent one was in 2014 when both Tuen Moon and Happy Valley at this time top tier clubs were suspended due to um, match fixing activities um, with one foreign player being arrested. Mm, Sasha Mus, I think his name was. Right. I think he was jailed for a year. And at that time also, a lot of Tour Moon players and Happy Valley players were involved in this scandal. And a few years earlier to this, uh, around 2010, there was also another match-fixing scandal around Happy Valley at that time. And Jean-Jacques Kilama was one of the whistleblowers back then. Mm, the Hong Kong centre-back. Yeah, so, so it is something that is haunting Hong Kong. And so a lot of people are upset that now when we feel that Hong Kong has become more professional the last years, that the league developed into a better direction, that again, match fixing becomes an issue. Mm. Although it should be said that these games that were allegedly fixed was in the, the reserve division, not the Premier League. Um, not that that makes it okay, but it's a little bit less That's depressing. true, that's true. But... Nevertheless, most of these players who were involved are still Premier League players as well. Mm. So in, in Hong Kong, it's often that in the reserve divisions, a lot of A-team players are actually playing. Either, for example, if they didn't get enough playing time during the Premier League, they will be put on reserve division games, which are usually played midweek on a Wednesday night. And also, for example, for, for 
players who have been injured, it's usually the first step for them to get back into competitive games again. So nevertheless, I think it's it's quite um, upsetting. And the names we have seen so far would involve a, a few players that are not unknown in Hong Kong. Who are the players? They've, they've been named in the Chinese press, haven't they? Yeah, like allegedly some of the players would involve uh, Li Wai Lim, the brother of Li Hong Lim, and who also played previously in the Hong Kong national team. Li Hong Lim, who played last night for the Hong Kong national team. Yeah, his brother, so not him. He has, mm. has no association with this. Other players that might be involved would include Kwok Kin Pong and Chen Pak Hang, who are also regulars often in the Premier League. So if if these allegations turn out to be true, it, it's definitely a big blow for Hong Kong mm. football. And one of the one of the kind of on a on a aspects of this is, I mean, as always with bribery, not just not just in football, but in in police, in um, public officials, whatever. I mean, a lot of it actually comes down to the amount of money they're being paid anyway. Um, you know, from what I've read, um, from what's been quoted in the newspapers, the total of bribes was ninety thousand Hong Kong dollars. And um, for anyone kind of listening internationally, that's about eleven thousand six hundred US dollars. That's split five or six ways. That's not a lot of money. I mean, these people are actually risking their careers, risking prison for a very small amount of money. I mean, if this all turns out to be true, it would also be an indictment of the professionalism in the league, um, of the fact that players are perhaps, they, you know, I mean, they might be in a position where they're not even in enough to make ends meet. And, and that's that would be an issue which you wouldn't have to deal with if, say, you may be in some brilliant world in five years, ten years down the, li- down the line in which the league is more developed. You might see less of this just because players are much more financially comfortable. But that's just that's just a, a side point. Um, I mean, is there anything good to be taken from this? What we could say is good is uh, the way how it was dealt with. Just for example, that the ICAC as this independent investigation body is completely taking over the case. So that means that the FA is not really involved in punishing or finding the players. So it is not a matter of just a football association, but it is a matter of really a public crime, and mm. it, which is treated as such, which I think is um, really the way to go. In, in quite a few other countries, they still draw this line between crimes in, in sport and crimes that you know, have kind of a public liability behind them. Mm. So having an independent corruption agency um, investigating this is, is, is good. So maybe there is some sign of progress on this. Um, you know, it, it is something that's dogged Hong Kong football. It's something that undermines everything. You know, I mean, you can do, you can have all of the sponsorship and you can have all of the TV deals and you can have foreign players and you can improve the quality on the pitch and you can improve attendances but at the end of the day if if the integrity of the game is being undermined then in the long run it's just what's, what's the point <laughs> so I mean it is it, it's something that needs to be dealt with and it sounds like maybe there, there could be some kind of progress on the on the investigatory front in other depressing Hong Kong football news um, Kichi who um, one of the bigger teams in the Hong Kong Premier League they have quite an impressive training centre it's called the Kichi Centre um, in the New Territories in Sha Tin and basically they've been told by the government we're going to take that land back off you um, which is thoroughly depressing I think, I think it cost 84 million Hong Kong dollars to build um, it's only been open for a year um, it's used not just by all of Kichi's teams but you know by the local community um, and you know Kichi have a lot of kind of like uh, sports clubs for like young kids which are all hosted here and the government has basically said well we gave you this land on a five year short term lease you weren't really supposed to build that much on it um, and we're taking it back now 
obviously that's led to quite a lot of consternation and it's interesting isn't it because it's kind of brought together a lot of things i mean for 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 starters hong kong does have an issue with housing supply like obviously um, and more houses need to be built because prices are just too high for normal hong kongers to afford and and so the government is doing something about that it's trying to build more houses but of course what kichi is saying and what the jockey club is saying the jockey club who are kichi's sponsor and they run horse racing in hong kong and they are very, 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 very rich. And they paid this money, this 84 million Hong Kong dollars to, to stump up the cash for this Kitchy Center, which is a really kind of professional training ground. And they're saying, well, what, what we've just built this. Um, this is where we train. What are we supposed to do? Um, it, it seems to be a bit of a deadlock at the moment. Um, the government really don't seem too bothered by these objections. I mean, even Yapung Fai, the Hong Kong captain, he said, after, I mean, he plays for Easton, he plays for a uh, rival. If anything, he might be happy to see them lose their training pitch. But even he said, like, the government is out of line. Um, he said a few years ago, it was seen like the good thing, the cool thing was to support local football. And he's saying, well, they've just completely gone back on that. It seems just like a really depressing situation. It seems like they're probably going to lose their, their training ground um, after only one year of using it. 84 million Hong Kong dollars of charitable money down the tubes. Are we furious at the Hong Kong government? Yeah, it's another reason to be furious. <laughs> I think like one of the most recent comments by the Hong Kong chief executive, who is more or less like a prime minister of Hong Kong for the overseas listeners, was that people in Hong Kong are too selfish with the reasons they have about objecting housing developments, for example. And the whole thing again foregrounds this, this difficult relationship that Hong Kong has to sports development in the entire region. I know that the Football Association is fighting for, for almost decades now to get a training center going as well. And they are still negotiating about the site they get in Chen Quan uh, I think it's like a former landfill or so. So this is like the place. You know, it's, it's always like this is amazing symbolic representation to where you put football on a, on a formal landfill somewhere out, <laughs> out of the city center. And yeah, it just shows that it's really hard right now, despite growing interest again in, in local football, to actually get the public support and the government support to, to put it a step further. But what I, th- I still think it's maybe quite encouraging is that after the Olympic Games and also now this kind of issues, they bring up a sentiment in Hong Kong that the government should care more about sports. It's, it's quite interesting that now housing and sports also becomes interrelated with each other and which probably gives it more headlines as well. And But yeah, it's, it's, a, big, it's a big shame if really 84 million Hong Kong dollars will be wasted from one day to the other. Yeah, I mean, there are a few more things. I mean, first of all, this is not the only place where you can build houses in Hong Kong. There are lots of places. It just so happens that the government, in many cases, doesn't want to because, in, in some cases, big rural landlords don't want them to. Also, aside from the fact that Kichia might lose their training ground, which is really important for, well, for training, for attracting players, but also lots of young people play there as well. Like They have school clubs, they have youth teams. Um, lots of people in the community actually use that and we're living in a city where a lot of young people do not get a lot of outdoor exercise um, and organised sport just isn't a big part of people's lives so having something which helps do that which helps people get involved and then to just take it away 
I just find mystifying for like a very small gain. I mean, it's only 1.5 hectares. Um, it's not the biggest plot. Actually, if you look at it as like a kind of cost-benefit analysis, I just don't see why the government has fallen down on this decision. But as we've said, their reasoning just seems to be, well, we told you it was only for five years and now we're taking it back. Um, I mean, yeah, technically they're kind of right, but I feel as though there's a lot more going on here than just a land lease. Yeah, I'm not sure if the Hong Kong government has expected that the story would blow up so much. And I think it's yet to see if they maybe find a way around it, if there will be still ongoing negotiations. I think the Kitchi chairman can try to lobby the government right now uh, to maybe extend the lease and so on. But yeah, it, it's it's yet to see. I'm, to be honest, me personally, knowing how Hong Kong politics works and how Hong Kong development works in particular, I don't see much hope that they would back down, but we will see. Mm, we will see. And also, speaking of lobbying, the Jockey Club is the biggest taxpayer in all of Hong Kong. Um, it is a very powerful organization, very well connected as well. So, and they paid for this, so they might not want their money to go down the tubes. They may also be kind of lobbying behind the scenes. Yeah, that's true, but... I think they are still like very much interrelated with the government. That's also true. They are like this kind of outsourced subsidy machine that is just always brought in when the government doesn't want to spend money. But we go into like too much detail. Sorry, I have too much opinion. <laughs> All of which is to say it's not quite over. <laughs> Kichi might still get to keep their trading ground and we will keep you updated on any developments. But back finally to the warm, safe embrace of on-field matters, because that's all I really want to talk about, Toby. <laughs> all I really want to do is watch some men, and in some cases women, kick a ball around the pitch, and eventually, hopefully, find that ball in a goal. <laughs> I don't want to have to read the news. I don't want to, you know, I'm just, I hate it when the real world interferes <laughs> with this nice, fuzzy thing, and we will get back to talking about the business of ball kicking in next week's Hong Kong Premier League matches after this. It's a big one this weekend, 5.30, the Mong Kok Stadium, Kichi versus South China. South China had a brilliant game against Eastern in the two-all draw last time out. Um, they played very well. I think they probably played better than Kichi have played all season. Um, which way do we see this one going? Yeah, I definitely think that this is a six-pointer game. It will play a big role in who will have the biggest claim in the championship this season. And it will be a tough game. It could go either way, to be honest. Kichi are on top of the league right now. Uh, won all the games so far. And South China only dropped points against Eastern so far and have still one game in hand. They are currently, I think, five points behind Kichi, but it doesn't say much, to be honest. So for this game, first of all, I mean, it, it's again another small derby in Hong Kong. Kichi South China has a kind of long-lasting rivalry between the fans especially. So I expect a, a good crowd, first of all. And it will be a very tough game. What do you think? Um, I think... Kichi need to watch out because so far this season they haven't played any of the kind of the so-called big teams. Um, in fact, they've really only played the weaker teams. I think. Yeah, and, and and all of the games have been a kind of a story of Kichi kind of dominating until they score basically 
whereas South China have just come off the back of this kind of like really big, you know, similar sized game against Eastern in which they played really well. Both teams were really impressive in that game. I think both teams in that game played better than Kichi have all season. And if South China can replicate that against Kichi, then I think it's going to be really hard for Kichi. Nikola Komazec, as we've discussed, I mean, he's, he's played five competitive matches for South China, he scored in every single one of them. But also Alex, as we've discussed, is, is on fire. Um, so I guess South China's defence will be terrified. Um, so you've got two really informed forwards there. Um, also what I noticed this year is that Chen Xiuqi, South China's number seven, he is back in form. I remember like last year he was injured for most of the season and didn't really play a big role. But right now at South China, he takes up the, the role as a, as a 10, a forward from the second row. And he has an amazing, amazing shot. And he can be extremely dangerous with delivering passes to the front, but also scoring from outside the box from like 20 yards or so. Do you think he'll start? Because he's been a little bit in and out, hasn't he? I mean, him and Ryan Griffiths have kind of been... Yeah, I think Chen Tsuki will definitely start. He usually now shares the midfield with Luis Carlos, number 10. And Ryan Griffith um, has started many on the bench for the last few games. Mm. Luis Carlos looks really classy, especially this season. And recently, I think South China have looked a lot better this season than they did last. Um, I think definitely. I mean, I think a while looks a little bit more on it. And also another midfielder, Sean Tay. Uh, you know, they, they do look a lot like a much more rounded team than they did last year. Again, with the addition of, of Nikola Komazec. What do we think is going to happen with Kitchi? Because I think Kitchi's forward options are actually quite interesting now. I mean, with the return of um, Fernando on the left, who's probably their most dynamic player, who, but who had been injured for the, this season so far. He, I mean, he came back against Rangers um, off, off the bench, and he is likely to, I think, take up his position as the left side of forward which is where Rufino has been playing so far this season. My guess, personally, is that Rufino is not going to go up top um, at the expense of Marco De La Spada, who's been a little bit ineffectual since he joined this season. And then you'll have Sandro kind of in the hole behind that with someone like um, Jared Lomolamjigin on the right. But as we've mentioned, Alex Akande is on fire. He's you know in great form, but he's been scoring a lot of his goals off the bench. I mean, has he done enough to get a starting berth? I mean, he could easily slip in on the right wing there. Yeah, the problem is again, like Kitchi has too many options on the right side. They could bring Jared Lam, they could bring in Lunch again, and could bring in Alex Akande. Now, the question is like, if you want to change something that works well, if it actually works quite well right now that Alex scores from the bench, if you need him for the last 30 minutes, they might stick with this, to be honest. And as you said, the interesting thing is that you have so many options up front, but then I think the problem maybe right now for Kitchi is really the back, having a solid defense. And I see Nikola Komatet causing a lot of trouble for them. Yeah, I mean, they've been mixing it up a little bit at the back. I mean, do we assume it's going to be Helio and um, Kim Bongjin at centre-back? It could be. And again, Kim Bongjin doesn't look for me very convincing as a centre-back. So I'm not sure how it goes. Yeah, I mean, during the international break, the players for Kitchi who weren't involved in the internationals, they played a friendly in Thailand at Bangkok United. Um, and as I guessed beforehand, Paul Bosch, um, who was a summer signer and is still taking up a foreign player berth, um, he played again at centre-back. Um, he's only played in friendlies so far. My, our guess is that the manager just doesn't fancy him. 
um, and then he thinks he has better options in defence. Um, but you never know; we might see him. But yeah, it's if it, if it's as interesting as the South China Eastern game was last time last time out, then it's going to be a really great game. Um, I'm sure we'll see another good crowd. If we were going to predict, what would we say? Well, there's one thing that I can say for sure. This is that Nikola Komatech will score. <laughs> so there will be at least one goal for South China. And from that, actually I changed my mind a bit. I would go for a 2-2 draw. Another 2-2. Okay, I'm I'm torn in between my slight loyalty to Kichi <laughs> and the fact that I do think they've not played anyone nearly as good this season as South China looked or have as South China have looked for the past few weeks. I think it's going to be a really interesting game. I think there's you've got two teams whose attack is better than their defence, and um, so I think you're definitely gonna you're definitely gonna see goals. I think two two is a really good shout. But if I had to choose a winner, the impartial observer in me would actually say South China. I think as form dictates. Although obviously I will be cheering on Kichi, um, but I would not be surprised if Kichi lost their first game this year um, against South China. So at least you can be happy when. Kitchen well, losers at least oh I was right. At least <laughs> I was right with my prediction this week. I don't think that really makes me feel any better to be honest. But yeah, that game is 5.30 Moncock Stadium on Saturday the 15th. Three hours before that, at the Aberdeen Sports Ground, Southern will be playing Eastern in the Battle of the Directions. Southern really need to get some points on the board. I mean, they've they've only played a couple of games um, because of they've been unfortunate with weather and bye weeks and so on. But they've only got one point. And I mean, they, they were one of our choice. Well, it was certainly my choice for kind of dark horses this season. I thought they were they were really good last year. And I mean, I, I think partly through their performance, but also partly through bad luck, they just they've had a really bitty start to the season. Obviously, it's not easy playing against the champions. Um, so it, it might not be the day for them to kind of kickstart the season. But what 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 do we expect? Yeah, I very much agree. Um, it's the first home game actually. This time for Southern. Mm. The first time they play in Aberdeen this season. I don't know if this will give them a, a boost or something, but they usually do have a good crowd there. Uh, a lot of people from the region, from Aberdeen, Wong Chuk Han, are quite keen to, to support them. But yeah, as you said, it's a very difficult task uh, against the Eastern to turn things around. But yeah, on the other hand, they, they have not much to lose at this point. Losing wouldn't be much of a surprise so even like with a draw they they would would have a good result against Eastern but what I realized is that Salvan they try to play quite offensive this season and I wonder if they would try the same against Eastern um, for example they against Taipo they almost started with four strikers so it's yet to see what the strategy will be against such a strong opponent I mean I wonder if the international break will play any part in this I mean Eastern a lot of their best players are also some of Hong Kong's best players. So, you know, people like Xu Dushui, Chen King Ho, Yapung Fai, um, they've been away playing football and perhaps tiring themselves out. I mean, Xu Dushui actually took quite a big knock um, in the Singapore game. Um, whereas Southern have been preparing for this game, they've been training, they've been keeping themselves in shape. Do you think that's going to have any kind of impact? I think it could have some impact at least. There are also like Li Hong Lim and... Roberto Afonso, who are regulars at Eastern, and yeah, they didn't have a break, so they, they might still be tired out a bit. But at the end of the day, I think st still that Eastern are the favorite for this game. 
I'm going to be controversial and say that it's going to be a one-all draw. Well, I'm going to be not controversial <laughs> and say it will be a nil-two for Easton. Cool. So what's happening before that? On Friday night, Toby at eight o'clock at Happy Valley, HKFC will play Pegasus, um, which is two teams in slightly different places at the moment because HKFC just had their first win um, away at Sapling. And which is a massive result for them. They also have the top scorer in the league, Michael Hampshire, who scored four, four in four, I believe. HK Pegasus, on the other hand, um, just had a really coming off the back of a really bad result against RNF, losing two one. Um, but also in the news this week, for all the wrong reasons, as we've already discussed, they've had to suspend five players. It's probably a really good time to play Pegasus. Yeah, it could be a good time, but also a bad time. I think Pegasus right now. They need a result. As you said, they need to come out of the of this match-fixing scandal and you really need to make up for, for dropping the points against R&F, which was totally unexpected. So another loss right now against HKFC, who most people would see as a relegation candidate, would actually, in my opinion, put the, the coach quite in danger. But dropping points in two games where you're expected to pick up all points. But as you said, for HKFC, it, it might be a, a way to just um, put in the final nail into the coffin <laughs> of, of Pegasus. So they, they could exploit maybe the, the insecurities and weaknesses. You know, it's funny, isn't it? Because Pegasus started out quite well. I mean, I think it was a 1-1 draw was their first, their first game. But I, I thought, you know, I mean, once Salva Camoro started, you know, he scored a couple... Um, and things look like they might do quite well this season and then Salva Kamara got injured like long term injury and then now you've just had this total mess you know, this terrible result this terrible news so they really are in really bad shape um, and I think it would it would do them the world of good to, to get a win but you know HKFC they did well against Sapling do you think they're still going to approach this game the way they've approached the games against the more established teams which is to sit back quite a lot let the goalkeeper make a lot of brilliant saves. Or do you think they might go for the throats a little more? Do you think they might try and take I, the game to Pegasus? I think they better stick with the original plan. Um, I believe that now it could be a problem if they're getting too self-confident and then basically running into an open knife. Um, I still think we shouldn't overestimate the win uh, from last week. I, I mentioned there was a lot of involvement of the goalkeeper and the sapling defense. Nevertheless, I'm not saying that it wasn't a deserved win for HKFC, but at the end of the day, I think HKFC still needs to see themselves as the underdog and also needs to go into a game like this with, with this um, understanding in mind. So I would expect them to still count on a very defensive strategy and to really look for counterattacks and maybe mistakes in the defense. And this is something that Pegasus is certainly capable of, <laughs> as we saw last week against RNF. So yeah, maybe it could be another surprise. But if we were to predict, we would say, I, w I, w I would back Pegasus, I think, today, 2-1. Yeah, it's hard for me to disagree with this, um, because I also would see Pegasus still in the advantage. And I say 3-1 for Pegasus. Okay, let's see if HKFT can surprise us again. Um, which brings us to Sunday's games, um, which are not the most um, mouth-watering fixtures, to be honest. 
And first up at half two at the Hammer Hill Sports Ground, it is Sapling against Rangers. Uh, Sapling, who've just come off that defeat from HKFC, and Rangers, who performed rather more admirably in defeat to Kitchi. I thought I thought Rangers actually had something about them in the last game. Um, the only issue is that Jordi is basically the focal point, um, and not in the way that he really ought to be. I mean, they were kind of trying to launch balls up to him. Um, he was trying to head it and stuff. I don't think I've ever seen him head the ball. Um, I think that's partly because uh, the strike, the guy they do play up top, um, Hoy Carlock, um, is just not really that physically imposing. Um, he doesn't get involved in the game as much as he ought to. Um, I mean, he's, he's only playing in that position, really, in the absence of the injured Quentin Landress. And, yeah, in the absence of a kind of target man, I think they, they're struggling a little bit. But maybe they'll do what they did last week and they'll throw Clayton up front um, to what, like like they did towards the end of last week's game try and provide that um, that target um, which they lack. Do you think there's any chance that they, they start with this option right from the beginning? I mean, I actually don't see why not, in all honesty, because they've got uh, the number 38, Chiu Chung Kit, uh, with, I think, probably the coolest hair in all of the Hong Kong Premier League. Um, he can play centre-back alongside Nando. Clayton actually caused you know he came close to causing some problems towards the end of the kitchen game I, I, I doubt it's something that the coach has got in mind but you know what why, you know, why the hell not give it a go you're only playing against Saplin who I don't think we have anything to say about right now do we not too much <laughs> um, all of which is to say um, we probably won't be going out of our way to watch this game but I'd say Rangers would be the favourites if they could just find some kind of it's hard you you think they're playing well, but you also, if someone was to say to you, okay, but who's going to score? You just don't know. I mean, I think the most likely possibility seems that, like, Jordi would score a penalty or something. Rather, you know, you can't put your, you know, with all of the teams who we're talking about, you can say, oh, yeah, of course, they can rely on him for a goal. They can rely on him for a goal. With Rangers, you just don't feel that way at all. Um, and that's a massive issue um, because football is about scoring more goals than the team. But I, I do still think they'll edge it somehow. Um, I would say... Maybe one nil. I go for a one-one draw. A one-all draw. Yeah. Classic down at the Hammer Hill. Yes, yeah, a classic Hammer Hill result. <laughs> you don't sound too enthused by this match, Toby. I mean, I'm not either, to be honest. But yeah, I, I cannot pretend <laughs> this time that I'm too enthusiastic about it. But then we have still another game left, right? Yeah, the five thirty game on Sunday, in which we have probably the longest away trip in the entirety of Hong Kong which is Yoon Long fans having to make the extremely long journey to CSI Wan Sports Ground. About two hours in total. Yeah, by public transport. Um, it is going to take you something like two hours. <laughs> yeah, uh, CSI Wan Sports Ground, not the easiest place to get to. And Yoon Long is, well, really, really far north. Um, so I don't know how many of them will make the trip. It probably won't be a very packed sports ground with a capacity of 12,000 but there will still be stewards and coaches and people to watch what will they see? And people running the track while the game is on so Are you allowed to do that while the game's on? Maybe they will still leave like two lanes open I don't, I don't think that's allowed <laughs> <laughs> um, but RNF they've just beaten Pegasus who arguably are a stronger team than Yunlong they scored their second goal was really nice I thought it, it was a kind of quite a Coherent, slick move. Can they? Can they? Can they repeat the feat against you know? Yeah, it would be interesting to see. Um, I believe that RNF could be on a high right now, and they definitely 
break the deadlock of finally scoring, right? Even even if they wouldn't have win the game, but at least they scored. I think the first was a penalty, right? And and the second was out of the game in a in a very nicely played counter attack. So maybe that actually helps to get the necessary confidence in the Premier League. But that all said, um, so far the the attackers from Hong Kong haven't really found the back of the net, and that's probably the next step that is necessary for R and F because so far it, I think it was mostly the defenders or midfielders. Court. So I think at the end of the day, I still see Yun Long naturally in advantage, still having the experience that could pay off this time. What do you think? I agree. I think they looked a lot better against Pegasus um, last time out. I think Yun Long have looked a little flat so far this year, um, with the exception of the first game. So it could be an interesting one, is all I have to say on the subject. Yeah. Um, if it wouldn't be in Suicide 1, it would be a very interesting one indeed. Yeah, and, and good luck to any Yunlong fans who are making the long trip from Yunlong to... And also to all the Guangzhou RNF fans who make the trip from Guangzhou. Maybe. It's a five it's, hours plus trip. It's not that much further, really. Add oil. Jiayou. Yeah. Literally, you have to add a lot of oil to reach, <laughs> to reach the stadium. Okay, real quick, prediction. I go for a 3-1 for Yunlong. 3-1. I was going to say 2-1, but now uh, I want to disagree. I'm going to, no, fine. I'm going to back I'm going to back RNF. 1-0. Wow. A cheeky 1-0 for RNF. Yeah, regular listeners will be wondering where the hell the interview is with the with the Hong Kong Premier League player which I promised you last week. Actually due to the flu epidemic which swept through the Yaomate area, um, we had to put that back. Um, by a week or so so that interview is still going to happen um, it will probably be a standalone podcast we think um, and won't be but keep your eyes peeled for that we'll, we'll keep you um, we'll keep you updated as for me and Toby we're off to go and put a load of money on some Hong Kong Reserve Division games hopefully by next week we'll be millionaires until then take care bye bye <laughs> bye bye <laughs>